As you're finding your seats, go ahead and grab your growth guide. Again, if you're listening or watching later, we would love for you to check in. Let us know how we can pray for you, and we will stay in touch with you to keep you up to date with what's going on in Cornerstone and encourage you along the way. Uh, We're in a series called In It Together, where we are working through the letter to the Philippians. A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to take a sabbatical. If you're not familiar with the concept of a sabbatical, sometimes pastors do it. You hear a lot of it in education circles as well, where you take some time off after a period of service just to rest and recuperate. Sometimes sabbaticals are used for a particular purpose, like writing a book or something like that if you're in education circles. I did not write a book, Uh, but I did take a summer off, and one of my favorite things about doing that was the opportunity to go and visit other churches, because generally speaking, I don't visit other churches. I uh, tend to have a, a weekly commitment that keeps me from doing so, but this was great because I had the opportunity to go around and visit other churches, and when I was looking around, one of them that I found, I loved, I loved, loved, loved their tagline. And this is what it was, from lost to found to whole. Lost to found to whole. And I love that because, you know, you can relate to that. All of us, apart from Christ, are lost. We are like that sheep that has wandered astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And then when we hear the gospel, we come to Christ We are found, we're restored to the family, we become citizens of his kingdom, we're back in the fold of his flock. But that's just the beginning, it's just coming home. But it's it's the beginning of a process where he makes us whole. And with so much brokenness in our world, the idea that we could be made whole again just really stuck with me. And I thought of that this week because this week's theme is peace, of course, as you heard earlier. And, and that Bible Project video that we watched earlier really highlights the idea that peace, we usually think of peace like as an absence of conflict, right? But peace is actually a much bigger, much more beautiful concept in the scriptures. It's the concept of wholeness, of being restored to wholeness. So how do we get to that point, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. As I said, we're in the book of Philippians, and the overall theme for this book is to be citizens of a heavenly kingdom worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, in the second part of the book, which we've been going through, it talks about the different dangers that the Apostle Paul is dealing with. And we talked about first the danger from opposition, that he was in prison, that he was in danger of losing his life, that the Philippians he was writing to, uh, a Roman colony in Macedonia, also were experiencing persecution and opposition, so they were in danger as well. Then secondly, we talked about the danger from false doctrine, and today we're moving, or that's what we were talking about last week. Uh, Now we're moving on to the danger of division. There was division within the church. There was a lack of peace in the church, and so he's going to address that. And part of what he's gonna say is that should not be the case. Now, unfortunately, if you've been around church for any period, of time, you've probably experienced a lack of peace 
uh, within the congregation. And, uh, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. And especially at this time of the season, you think about, okay, peace is supposed to be, our, that sense of wholeness, that sense of peace is a little bit of heaven brought back into the present. That's what we're supposed to be experiencing as the body of Christ. And even the verses and, and themes that we talk about at this time of the year tend to reinforce that. For example, in uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, very familiar around this time of the year, for, us, for, unto, for to us, got the Messiah music in my brain there, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. The, uh, the uh, prophet Isaiah is prophesying about this time to come where his people are going to experience peace, and it's because this child, the son, that's going to be a ruler will be born. It goes on to say in the next part of that verse, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I highlight two things about that. Number one, the son that's going to be born, that's going to rule, is called mighty God. Already, you know, the idea that Jesus is divine and human, 100% divine, 100% human, is there even hundreds of years ago in the prophecy of Isaiah. Everlasting father, prince of peace. He is the prince who will bring peace. And then when Jesus came, part of his teaching was about this idea of peace. And I love this, what he said in John chapter 14, verse 27, this is Jesus' words, peace I leave with you. In other words, I'm giving you a gift. I'm going to give you my peace. And to think about how he understood that from the Hebrew scriptures and the Jewish context of shalom, of wholeness, not just the absence of conflict, although that's included, but a sense of wholeness, of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. This isn't just any peace. This is Jesus' peace he is sharing with us. And he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. And whenever I've reflected on that, I've thought about the idea that, okay, well, how, how do we experience peace in the world? Well, it's an absence of conflict. We have peace when everything is going well, right? But what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to give you a peace that's not based on what's happening in the world or the way that the world defines peace. This is a peace that is outside of that. And we'll see that in the Philippians passage as well. He says, I leave, I leave you my peace. I'm not going to give it to you as the world gives. Well, what does that look like, Jesus? This is the next part of that verse. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, he's saying... I'm going to give you a peace, and as a result, you're not, going to, you're not going to have troubled hearts, and you're not going to be afraid. Now, I started with these verses about how Jesus is the prince who brings peace, and how he said he gave us his peace, and that what that means is that I'm not going to have an agitated spirit or a fearful spirit. I'm going to have a heart that is at peace, not troubled, not afraid. And I say all that to say, is that our experience? Is that your experience? Is that when you encounter a Christian, do, do they just kind of stand out because they're not agitated, they're not upset, they're not, they're not afraid, they, they're at peace. 
Now, sometimes that's the case, and sometimes we experience that, but I see the little smirks and smiles on your faces because <laughs> you, you recognize that that's not your 100% experience, being a follower of Jesus, having complete and utter peace, a peace unlike what the world offers. And so why is that? So in today's message, in today's section, we're gonna, uh, the segment of scripture, we're going to see how this happens. Uh, and remember, the key verse is Philippians 1.27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, worthy of the gospel. And I've been highlighting the theme. So li- live as or conducting yourselves in a manner worthy. So we have this, this offer of peace, a supernatural Jesus-provided peace. How can we live that out? How can we conduct ourselves in such a way that we experience that? Because that's part of what is included in this idea of conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. The good news is Jesus is your peace. He has brought peace. And so if you're going to live that out, you have to be able to experience that. So here is the question. If you were going to Google the, the, the question that this message answers, here's what I think it would be. How can I experience peace in an anxiety-producing and fragmented world? Anxiety-producing and fragmented world. Well, I think the answer is the Prince of Peace, and that's what today's title is. And of course, today we are talking about peace, and here's what we are saying. You can experience peace if you know the God of peace. Here's an overview. We'll come back to all of these points. You can experience God's peace in your church family. The church can be a place of peace. You can experience God's peace among outsiders. So often there's this idea that we are at war with the world and we are separating and fragmenting into all these tribes and camps, but you can experience God's peace even among outsiders. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, you can experience God's peace within your soul. You do not have to live in a constant state of agitation, anxiety, and a lack of peace. Now, every week I give you something practical to do to make your life better, make you better at life, bring glory to God in the process. Today's application is going to be this. I'm going to ask you to do something very specific this week, and that's to take five minutes to write out a brainstorming list inspired by Philippians 4, 6 to 8. We'll see that in just a second, but basically it's the Apostle Paul saying, here, if you do these things, if you think about these things, you're going to experience peace. So what better way to apply what we hear today than to do exactly what he calls for? So let's look at this passage. We are now in chapter 4, chapter 4 of 4 in the book of Philippians, and we're going to read the first nine verses. I will read it from the New Living Translation and it will be on screen for you as well so you can follow along. This is what it says. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Euodia and Sanctity, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. 
They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together again. Lord, as that passage ends, to keep putting into practice all we learn and receive, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn what we need to learn from this passage, that you would personalize it for each heart, each person, each life, each stage of life, so that it will speak directly to each one of us. And I pray, Lord, that we would put it into practice, that you would give us practical steps, that you would remind us along the way of what we are to fix our thoughts on, of the things we're to focus on, and the, the fact that you are the one who will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us insight, that you would move us to obey, and that in the process you will receive glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay, so if you're taking notes, you didn't catch this the first time around. This is the bottom line. You can experience God's peace. You can experience peace if you know the God of peace. God is that source of peace. Uh, Now, you might have noticed that this passage that we're looking at begins with kind of a therefore or so. So what it's doing is it's, it's kind of referring back to what we looked at before. So I just want to remind you what, what exactly precedes that. If you see a therefore, you're supposed to look and see what it's there for, right? So look back at a, the verse or two in front of that and see what's going on. Well, this is what's going on at the end of chapter three. It says, but there's far more to life for us. Remember last week he was contrasting two paths, those that live as enemies of the cross and those that live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so he says, you know, you're putting aside that old life. You're putting aside the, the old way of doing things and trying to earn God's favor, trying to get righteousness on your own. But we're citizens of, of the kingdom of, of God. This is the way the message translation puts it. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting for the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ. He'll make us beautiful and whole. That's why I picked this translation. I love that word whole in there. With the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be, 
under and around him. When I preached through the, the, the gospel of Mark, I, I, I called it, I believe, that was the title of the whole series, Things Set Right, because that's what Jesus was doing. He came to set things right. And you see this here in this passage. He's saying, look, live as citizens of heaven. You are, you are foreigners and aliens in this world, but you're gonna, your citizenship, you're, you're, a member, you're a citizen of Rome living in Philippi, but your ultimate allegiance is to the kingdom of God. So you're gonna live like that. You're gonna live for greater purposes purposes for greater things and he says and this process that has begun in you remember in this passage earlier he's saying God works in you both to want and to accomplish to will and to do his good pleasure well he's working inside of you changing you making things right in you forgiving you for your past putting a new heart in you and he says and this you're you're just a small piece of what God is doing in the big picture of things. He's setting the whole world right, and he's doing it one person at a time, and eventually at the end of time when he returns, he will set everything right. And so we, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are constantly experiencing that and looking forward to its fullness when we'll experience it completely. That's what he's saying here. He says, keep looking forward to that. Live with that forward anticipation. And this is another thing that comes out throughout the scriptures, and we'll see this again in just a second, throughout this passage, throughout this book, is this forward-looking uh, eschatological approach. In other words, he's going to, eschatology is the study of the last things, the last days. So what he's saying is you live today in light of what is coming because God is setting things right. He said in the, he's going to set everything right in the future. He's setting things right in the now. And I've talked before about how the church is supposed to be a little enclave, a little, a little colony of the kingdom of God in this world. And that's exactly what was going on here. This is exactly the kind of, of terminology that the apostle Paul uses here. It's like, you're a, you're a Philippi, you're a colony of Rome, but you're really citizens of heaven. And so what we do is we experience, we bring back into the present, the future experience of the kingdom of God. We get to just a little foretaste. We get to live a little foretaste of heaven in the here and now. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, Look forward to that. He's going to make us beautiful and whole by the same powerful skill, which he's putting everything as it should be uh, under and around him. Then we come to the beginning of chapter four. And he says, so then, therefore, my dearly loved, because you're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, because he's setting you right and setting things right. And we're looking forward to that. We're living uh, 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 focused on that. My dearly longed for Loved and longed for brothers and sisters. Again, the personal uh, uh, tone of this and the uh, affection that he has for them. My joy and crown. Joy is a theme of the book. He's saying, you, when, you, when you're living like this, the, it brings me joy. Earlier he had said, make my joy complete by, remember that part? And crown. Uh, very often the Apostle Paul uses uh, athletic uh, pictures and, and metaphors and terminology. And here, when, when an when a athlete would compete and win, they would get a laurel crown. And he's saying, when, I, when you guys are living like this, when you guys are, are, are sit, acting like citizens of the kingdom of, of heaven, that's my crowning glory. That's me winning the race, is if you do that. 
in this manner, live this way, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. So we know that what's coming is his, uh, his way of, the, of fleshing out what it means to stand firm in the Lord, to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven in the here and now in the face of possible division. So he's going to say, you experience the peace. If you, you can experience peace, if you know the God of peace, you can experience God's peace in your church family. So they were not experiencing peace in their church family. So he's going to address this. So he starts out by saying, this is how you're going to stand firm. This is what it means to be citizens in the kingdom of heaven. I appeal to Euodia and Sanctity. Those are just two women within the church. Please, because you belong to the Lord. And I want to pause there for just a second. What he's saying there is, you know, it, 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 it's not, it doesn't fit. He's going to give two reasons, two ways that you can, you can resolve conflict. And the first one is to recognize that you are a part of the same family. You, you're in this together. That's the whole idea. You're in it together because you belong to the Lord. In other words, you, you share in the gospel. You are a part of God's family. You are sheep in his flock. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You can't be at war with one another. That just doesn't fit with that. Because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Now, he doesn't give us any kind of indication of what the disagreement was. We just know that these two women in the church, there was something going on. It was causing division. And he says, you got to bring this to an end. This just doesn't fit. It's not worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on to say, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. Now, uh, depending on your translation, this might be translated as a name where it says true partner. Uh, it's possible that that's a, the name of someone, that that word is the name of someone, but we don't see that name in any other uh, ancient uh, documents. So uh, it probably just literally means my helper, my true partner. Help these women for they worked hard. Remember Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Part, part of our role as the body of Christ is to, to maintain and to help others. Uh, in maintaining peace. Remember when Jesus was teaching on how to resolve conflict in Matthew chapter 18, first you go to the person one-on-one. You see if you can win your, your brother back. And if that doesn't work, if they won't listen, if you're still in conflict, then you grab somebody else and say, come, help us figure this out. Help us figure this out. Help, help us to resolve this conflict. And that's the kind of thing that's going on here. Paul is saying, look, you two, you got to get together. You got to get in a room and settle this and don't come out until you do. And if you need help, true, uh, my true partner, you know, we don't know who that was, but evidently the readers would have known exactly who Paul was talking about. You go in there and you help them and work it out. And then the, so you're part of the same family. But the other thing is, and it's suggested by this part, for they worked hard with me until others the good news. There is a mission. There is a purpose. There is an objective that we have as the body of Christ to work to get the gospel out. And our petty disagreements are not worth 
dividing over and and that job will not get done there's something greater at work here now remember we're not talking about major uh disagreement we're not talking about false doctrine remember he had very strong words for those that were teaching false doctrine we're not talking about people who question jesus identity remember those two things it's if if uh, jesus is a holy divine and holy human and if you separate those out or emphasize one over the other that's a problem and if you're going to go after the essence of the gospel it's jesus plus something else you know yes believe in jesus but also do this believe in jesus but also do this religious right do believe in jesus but don't you ever do that that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about those things that that threaten the gospel but aside from that we've got a job to do and we can't allow division to keep us from keeping the main thing the main thing. So I think there are two things that he says here that help us in, in overcoming division. Number one, we've got to recognize we're on the same team, so we've got to figure this out. And number two, we've got a, bigger, a job that's bigger than our petty disagreements. So get over it, work through it, don't argue over the small stuff, and keep focused on the job. I like the way this commentary, commentator put it. it. says, Paul expects unity. They are to be bound together in one spirit like a band of brothers. But here's the thing that I remembered and went back and looked this up because I thought this was so good. Let the world quarrel. Christians must be one. Let the world quarrel. You know, that's their thing. That's the, let them do that. But that's not who we are. We've got a, we, we, that's not who we are, and we've got a job to do. Christians must be one. So you can experience peace if you know the God of peace. You can experience God's peace in your church family by keeping the main thing the main thing and remembering that you are, are all a part of one family. And then... Secondly, you can experience God's peace among outsiders. Now, this won't take as long because it's all based on just one word. In the next verse, Paul says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Now, depending upon your translation, it might be translated a variety of different ways, that one word, graciousness. Uh, But notice that the context is everyone. He's saying, you know, within the church family, figure it out. You're all part of the same family. You got a job to do, so figure it out. But let your graciousness be known to everyone. Now, it's the idea behind this word, and the reason it's translated in different ways is because it's, it's got so many different facets of meaning. But I like graciousness the best. That's why I chose that particular version. But it's basically saying, um, you know, God has been gracious to you. You were God's enemy when he went to the cross, You didn't want anything to do with him. You wanted to be in charge of your own life. You wanted to do your own thing. And you really didn't care what he thought. And in the midst of that, he said, I love him. I love her. I'm willing to send my son to die on the cross for her soul, for his forgiveness. And so there's a graciousness that is is present in that. And so when you're dealing with outsiders, do you, do you think most outsiders to the faith, when they think of Christians, they think, I don't believe what they believe. I don't see how, they, how what's important to them is really that important. But I have to say, they are the most gracious people I ever encounter. Probably not. 
right? Because our reputation sometimes is judgmental and angry, defensive, oppositional. All the things that are opposite to this. So how do you do that? I think and I, you know, just this is just my personal opinion, but some of the things that have been helpful to me. I was listening to a pastor, and the first time I heard this, I was like, I don't, I don't like that. He, but when he was preaching, he would say stuff like, you know, uh, if you believe this or if you think this way, I get it. You know, if I had your experience, if I were, had your upbringing, if I had had your training, I probably would think and feel the same way, even if it's totally opposite of what he's arguing for from the scriptures. And I was like. No, you know, I wouldn't do that. I, you know, I, would, I would recognize the truth as, no, you probably wouldn't. And I think there's a certain graciousness in recognizing that your experience is different from other people. And it doesn't mean that they're right. It doesn't mean that it's a good idea and you should adopt their thinking. But it's helpful just to remember, you know what? They had a different experience of life than I did. They, they had a different upbringing. They had a different training. And, and so if I had been in their shoes, I, I might think the same way that they do. Now, it's not an excuse for adopting their way of thinking, but, you know, it's probably... And, and here's what happens in our world. We want to think that everybody that thinks differently and does differently than us are either evil or stupid, right? If they don't believe what I believe, they're, they're either evil or stupid, and, and you can find all kinds of things that will reinforce that idea. Now, there are some evil and stupid people. And there are a lot of people like you and I who sometimes do evil or stupid things. But we're not evil or stupid, right? And so I think it's just helpful to kind of, uh, you know, you're not, you, uh, what's, what's the phrase? You, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing. You, if you want to bring some, what Abraham Lincoln said, if I turn my enemy into my friend, haven't I, haven't I defeated my enemy? Right? It's the same kind of idea. Let your graciousness. What if the church of Jesus Christ was known for its graciousness? That's what the Apostle Paul is arguing for. And I like this. This is from another commentator He's talking about this idea of graciousness and what this word means. And he says, uh, remember the theme is rejoicing and joy. It's like, this is how other people experience the Christian's joy in the Lord. You know, we experience in the Lord the joy of the Lord. We're forgiven. He loves us. He's written, uh, forgiven our past and written a new ending to our story. We have lots to rejoice. Well, how do the people around us experience the joy of the Lord? You know, when, when we encounter people, are they saying, wow, I just feel the joy of the Lord when I'm with that person? Well, this is how. This is how other people experience the Christian's joy in the Lord, the graciousness. I've been forgiven. I've been changed. I've been given a gift I could not earn and I did not deserve. So let me do the same for you. That's how other people experience the Christian's joy in the Lord. And then the last part of that verse, we didn't look at the whole thing, is the Lord is near. Again, emphasizing the idea that we live in light of eternity. Everything that he's doing, everything that he's prescribing is in light of eternity. And maybe one way you could look at that is, look, we care about people who are outside. And so if we're going to, they're going to spend eternity somewhere. And if we want them to spend eternity with God in heaven, to be forgiven, to be transformed, to experience the grace and kindness of Jesus that we have, then we got to keep that in mind. 
and act accordingly. So two parts so far. You can experience the peace of God if you know, if you know the God of peace. And come on, you can experience God's peace in your church family. You can experience God's peace among others, outsiders, and you can experience God's peace within your soul. Next passage, he's just going to deal with it. Okay, well, how do you get peace inside? And this is what he says. Don't worry about anything. All right, that's it. Let's pray and then we'll be done. (laughs) Don't worry about anything. Simple concept, very difficult to do, right? Very difficult to do. But Jesus was constantly telling his followers, including us, don't worry. So I used to say more frequently, you might not have heard me say that. I heard that. I was like, okay, worry is against my religion, right? It is against my religion to worry. What is worry? Worry if you, is meditating on how things could go wrong, right? If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. And he's saying, don't worry about the important stuff. Don't worry about the little stuff. Don't worry about, no, he doesn't say any of that. He says, don't worry about anything. Translation I memorized this verse in was, don't be anxious about anything. Don't let anxiety be the controlling influence in your life. Okay, so, okay, great, Paul, don't worry. How do, exactly do we do that? Well, he's very gracious, he's kind. He tells us what to do. He says, instead, he's gonna give you an alternative. Rather than meditating on all the things that could go wrong and turning those over and over in your head, staying at, lying in bed awake at night, staring at the ceiling, thinking about all those things, instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for what he has done. Now, in this, this, these couple of verses, I'm going to highlight some in this kind of turquoise color. I want you to circle that if you're taking notes, because anything you see in turquoise, I want you to circle that from this point on, because those are the things you're going to come back to in just a second. So he's like, okay, part of the things you worry about is there's stuff you need, and you're afraid you're not going to get it. So here's how you take care of that. You take the burden of worrying about those things that you need that you're not sure you're going to get, and you hand them over to the Lord. This is, again, easy to understand, hard to implement. But I I remember telling the story before about how when I would have car problems, I was like, you know, and I hated car problems. I still hate car problems. Don't give me car problems. Uh, And I would be like, okay, Lord, your car has an issue. The engine light is on in your car. Would you please take care of that? You know, that's my need. That's, I, what am I doing? I'm shifting the burden of that need off of my shoulders onto the Lord. That's what I'm doing. God, my kid. God, my job. God, my house. God, my bank account. Okay, no, you're... That's all your stuff now. Uh, I'm transferring ownership, and now you've got a problem. (laughs) Right? Right? Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. We've talked about this before. The need is forward-looking. The thankfulness, the gratitude is backward-looking. And what you're saying is, okay, let's give thanks. Well, I thank you, Lord, that the last time I needed a car, you provided one. I thank you, Lord, that the last time I was in conflict with this person, it actually worked out okay. I thank you, Lord, that the last time I was facing this bill that I didn't know where the money was coming from, you provided. 
what are you, what are you doing? You're building, up the, you're, you're building up the evidence that God is faithful and that he's taking care of you. And, and that really helps. It, it lifts that burden off of you. You, you, you. you purposefully, you willfully hand ownership of that need over to him. And then you're like, oh, look at all the things God has done for me in the past. This is awesome. This is great. And he says, so this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then it says, then. This is, this is the then that we were talking, to about, talking about at the beginning. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And the way I always talk about this, okay, um, you do all these things, you will experience God's peace. And remember how Jesus said, my peace I give to you, I, I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. This exceeds anything we can understand. The way I talk about that is, this is a piece that doesn't even make sense. If you were just to look at your world and say, what's going on in your world? Ooh, I think I'd be anxious. I think I'd be afraid. I think I'd be agitated. But you're not. Why? Because you are experience, you're experiencing God's peace that is beyond anything that we can understand. It doesn't even make sense. Except when you include God in the equation. And he says, his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Remember that video we watched at the beginning when he was talking about peace and it was using the illustration of a wall and peace is wholeness, so that wall is complete. But if your peace breaks down, the wall breaks down. What happens if the wall breaks down? Then enemies can rush in. There's no barrier. There's no protection. And he's saying, you do this stuff, and his peace will guard. He's going to put a wall up around your hearts and minds to protect you, to keep that peace in, and to keep the soul agitation and anxiety out. And then he goes on and gives a, a little bit more of a prescription. It's like, okay, so when you're not praying about everything, here's, here's what you should be thinking about. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on. Now, fix your thoughts on. What do you think he's going to say? Uh, fix your thoughts on cable news. Uh, fix your thoughts on the trouble at work. <laughs> fix your thoughts on what's going on with your kids. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Here are those, those color words again. And honorable. And right. He's going to give you a list. One of the things that helps me to think about what this list means is to think about the opposite. So this would be a good, a good exercise for you as well. What's the opposite of true? Something that's false, right? Uh, honorable, dishonorable, right, wrong, right? Okay, these, these are easy, but it kind of helps you to think about, okay, uh, what am I thinking about? Uh, and, you know, is it true or is it false? Is it honorable? Is it dishonorable? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it pure or is it corrupt? Is it lovely? Is it attractive or is it ugly? Is it admirable or is it dishonorable? You know, just think about those things and, and, and thinking about the opposite can help you to figure that out. Then second part, think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, I, I 
I like to joke about cable news and all that, but really that's that's a good illustration because what does what 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 does media do in general? It it intrudes on your thoughts. It's 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 defining what you're thinking about. And and I see this especially uh, there's some households where the the TV is always on. You know, like especially it seems like with older people, they tend to keep the TV on. Sometimes they're lonely or something like that, and it's just a little noise and all that. But I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, that's just constantly a constant stream in their lives, focusing their thoughts on everything that is wrong, everything that's dishonorable. So, what are you thinking about? How do you fix your thoughts? It's what, it's, the, it's what you put in. Garbage in, garbage out, my mom used to say when I was growing up, right? So it's like, okay, that's why life journaling is so important, right? Starting your day with the scriptures, filling your mind, focusing your thoughts on what is true and honorable and good and excellent and praiseworthy, and then what can you, listening to music, what kind of, uh, which, which way does your, the music you listen to direct your thoughts? That's why we publish the playlist of the music. That's just a starting point. You know, plug in those three songs and let Apple Music or Spotify take it from there. You'll be fine, right? Think about those things. Fix your thoughts. I think that your Heavenly Father wants you to experience peace. I think you can experience peace because you know the God of peace. You can experience it in your church. You can experience it even among outsiders, people that don't believe like you believe and don't, aren't interested in what you're interested in. And I think you can experience it within your soul. You can have peace within your soul. So here's the practical step. Take five minutes. This is do something that's going to focus your thoughts to force you to think about those things. Take those words that were in blue that I ask you to highlight and circle and just set a, set a timer. Five minutes. That's not a lot of time. Just get started and start listing. Things I'm thankful for. Things that I need that I just need to turn over ownership of that to the Lord. Things that are true. Whatever, you know, just keep going and just make a list of as many of those things. It's just one illustration, one ex- example of how you can fix your thoughts. And then... The end of the verse, uh, this passage uh, goes like this. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Now, I emphasize, I kept this to the end because it's the practice part. When I give you stuff to do, that challenge at the end, that practical step, it's because, uh, you know, if you just come in here and just listen and it doesn't change your life, it's not doing anything for you. So let's put it into practice, what you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. I love that. The Apostle Paul was able to say, just do what I do. Listen to what I say and do what I do. You know, I'm following Jesus. You follow Jesus with me. Let's, let's do this together. And then he sums it up like this. He said before, if you pray about everything, uh, give thanks that the, that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he circles back around and he says, oh, by the way, then the God of peace will be with you. You have the peace of God because you have the God of peace. And so I ask you, has there ever been a time where you've said yes to the God of peace? Yes, I want what Jesus did on the cross 
to count for me so that my sins can be forgiven. I want to be a citizen in his kingdom. I want, he's going to be the Lord. He's going to call the shots. He's the boss. I'm going to follow him from this point on. When you do that, you are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and you know the God of peace, and he will give you his peace. So let's do that. And if you, this is the first day you're doing that or you've been following Jesus for a long time and you realize, oh, I've been, I've been worrying about everything and praying about nothing. I got the verse completely flipped around, right? Let's, let's, let's flip it back. Let's get things right. And let's focus our thoughts and allow the God of peace to have full and free reign in our lives, in our relationships with one another, in our relationship with the world, and in our relationship with ourselves. Let's pray. God, what an incredible gift you have given us the ability to have peace regardless of the circumstances, a peace that doesn't even make sense from the outside. But Lord, that's who you are. This this season, we look at the verse where Mary heard the news from the angel, hears that uh, about John the Baptist's pregnancy, birth, he's gonna be born, and the angel almost exalting and it says for with God nothing is impossible Lord I believe that the people that are most anxious and worried in this circle listening to my voice can experience the supernatural peace of God anything is possible help us to pray about everything worry about nothing and to entrust ourselves to you and grant us what you promised a peace of God that transcends all understanding because we know the God of peace. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. 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 Have a great week.